Good morning, and thank you once again for listening. The the topic that I'd like to discuss today are transitions in the classroom, because that is a lot of time when kids are going to become involved in things other than the lesson. And it is that time of year, for those of you that are joining me live now and know it is December and the holidays are coming and those listening uh, at a later date, it's right around the holiday season where kids are getting a little bit antsy, teachers are tired, first year teachers are excited. This might be the first time that they're getting to go home soon. Um, Gifts need to be wrapped, whether it's Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, New Year's, whatever festivities you might find yourself participating in, that tends to become a little bit of a distraction, both to students and teachers. And so lesson plans might become a little bit less structured. There might be less thought given to how to move kids in and out of groups. There might be less thought given to how the distribution of material is going to happen because by now students should know and the teachers shouldn't have to repeat themselves. So some teachers and some students go on autopilot around this time of year. They've been in the same space for three, four months now. They're starting to know most of the kids in their class, so it still amazes me how many students, even at this time of year, do not know all of the names of their classmates. That's a topic for another conversation. But this is not the time to dial in a lesson. This is not the time to be distracted during the day. This is not the time to allow yourself to become frustrated at the little things because there will be many, many, many little things. Um, I know one thing that I'm starting to see more of at my own school are wanderers in the hallway, students that are tired of sitting in classes, trying to elope, meet up with their friends, and the more structure that the teachers have in the classroom and the more aware they are of these comings and goings, that's a transition as well. When someone leaves the room versus when someone comes in. And so this might be a good time of year to revisit those transitional pieces like how do you ask for attention from the teacher? How do you ask permission to go to the restroom? How do you converse when you're in a small group? What level of voice do you need to use? What color pen or pencil is expected to use for part A of an activity? Whatever the procedures that you put in place back in August or September, whenever school started, if you're finding that classroom management issues are increasing and that you're starting to get frustrated, a good place to sometimes look are at those procedures. Spend some time reflecting during the lesson, at the end of the day, before the day, bring it to the forefront of your mind and find some way to take down some information about when are these, <coughs> excuse me, when are these corrections occurring? Is it at the start of class when students are coming in from the hallway with all of the hubbub of the social activities? Is it sometimes in the middle of class when they might become restless, where you're transitioning from maybe a direct instruction to a small group or from a small group to an independent practice or whatever the structure of your lesson is? Or is it near the end when they know class is ending, they know they're going to be seeing their friends, they're trying to get stuff turned in, they're trying to get things put away, they're trying to figure out who they're going to meet up with the hallway, where they're going for lunch, etc., etc. Or if it's constant throughout your lesson, I would recommend asking somebody to come in and spend some time in your room as a second set of eyes to try to observe some of these, to try to give you some hard and fast data about patterns and trends in your classroom because let's face it, we can't do this job alone. 
We can't expect to find success when we're dealing with humanity without reaching for help. So I would definitely encourage you, if you're getting frustrated, even if it's just with a particular group of students, because sometimes you can have, if you're teaching six classes, five classes where the chemistry is amazing and everything is going perfectly, and then there is that one group and sometimes even within that one group, there are those few children that you just cannot get settled. You'll get one settled and then another will start talking. Or there's always drama or something going on. So I would definitely recommend finding a trusted colleague. If you have a team leader or a department chairman or an administrator that you trust, ask them to come in and simply give you feedback on what they're observing as time wasters or as classroom management issues. And then you will have some hard and fast data to analyze because I know I've been asked to do that for other people and I don't go in looking for instruction. I'm literally just at the back of the room watching the kids and the teacher is able to tell me, I know that the issue is somewhere in the back right corner of the room, but every time I try to get back there and see what's going on, they could not isolate it down to one or two students. But having another set of eyes in there who the students weren't even aware that I was really there after I was there for a couple of minutes, I was able to isolate it down to two students, one of whom was the instigator and one of whom was the reactor. And so just those pieces of information made it easier for the classroom teacher to address that. So I would definitely, if that's an issue, have another set of eyes in there. But back to transition. So I want you to think about your entry points and your exit points in your activities. How are you transitioning students into the activity? What expectations are you setting? How much time are you spent going over directions with the whole group versus are you putting them in the individual groups? Do you have folders? Do you have table groups? You know, how are you communicating to the students what the expectations are? What are the expectations when they're in that activity, whether it's taking notes while the teacher lectures or doing a small group reading or completing math problems or a lab experiment? And then... How are you moving them out of that chunk of the lesson? And it doesn't necessarily have to be from one activity to another. It can be from one piece of a reading to another piece. It can be from a vocabulary activity to the directed reading. It can even be with the same of text for 90 minutes as long as you're doing different things. So isolate those chunks and then figure out how you're letting the students know what the chunks are and then how you are structuring your language, your expectations, and your directions to help them be successful and to have less wiggle room. So one thing to consider is if you're finding yourself being the one to distribute a lot of the materials, maybe that's something in a particularly active class that you can farm out to one of the students. Have a designated paper distributor, or if they're in rows, have someone from the row pass it down. There's definitely opportunities to find leadership in your classes and to take some of that onus off you. If you're already in a student-centered classroom where students are doing much of the distribution and there's still some issues, it might be time to switch up who's doing things. It might be time to revisit roles and have a classroom discussion about expectations and respect. Because there could be things going on that you're not aware of, and they could be, the students could be frustrated. Sometimes doing a survey and asking the students how they think the room should be run, even if you don't use what they say, it can give you good insight into how your room is perceived from the students. So I would definitely always suggest posting directions. And if you find yourself going beyond three steps in a set of directions, you need to stop and revisit what the expectations are after those third steps because we know from brain research that humans can't really hold a lot in their short-term memory for a long time. So if when you're trying to transition students from one part of an activity to another, 
have very clear directions and have them posted. So that way, when you have to repeat yourself, and please notice, I don't say if you have to repeat yourself. I say when you have to repeat yourself, you can simply point or indicate the directions. One of the best teachers I've ever seen handled this particular phenomenon by having something in her class called C3 before me. Where if it was a procedural question about where to find information, and this was a business teacher, so a lot of her work was computerized. There were digitized files and websites way before we went to this one-to-one platform. So I'm talking 15 years ago. She would have a C3 before me rule. And I watched her say to students, who did you see? And if the student only really named one or two kids, she'd be like, "Mm, go back to the third. And what I found was most of the students, by the time they got to the third person, had the answer. They were able to ask their peers. And what that did was, if they kept asking the same peers, their peers were then like, dude, what is going on? You need to be paying attention. Or what is, you know, stop asking me. And so there was a little bit of that element of peer pressure. Now, these were high school students, but very easily you could do this in middle school and elementary school. If you have a well-organized classroom and you've posted your directions and the students know where things are, they will absolutely be able to ask one another. So adding that social layer also helped because you're giving students permission to speak to one another and to interact in a productive way. So When students are coming in from a class and right before they leave, it's always a good idea to have something posted, have a warm-up, have a do-now, and then at the end of class to have something summarizing, tying it all up. Not just, all right, guys, have a nice weekend or put your papers in the bin. Something that solidifies and signals the end of the lesson. This would be a perfect time to revisit your objective, to to hammer down the vocabulary concepts that might have been addressed, to talk about how what you learned today related to what is going to be happening. If you're going to be starting a unit, this might be a good opportunity to pique student interest with some new vocabulary words. Um, Housekeeping, I'm not a fan of doing at the end of class only because students are distracted. They're they're already checking out. So if you can add something academic and content-wise and then address the housekeeping, just make sure you have their attention. Make sure you're dismissing them, not the bell. That is a huge one. If there's a bell or a school-wide indicator of a transition time from class to class or lunch to class, please make sure that an adult or someone in the room is dismissing those students because if not, they will run out And remember, the group that you're sending out to another teacher, you will at some point be receiving back. So if they are able to leave in a haphazard, chaotic manner and go careening wildly into the hallways, they are going to come in in an even more haphazard, careening wildly atmosphere. Because even if you, excuse me, send them out orderly, they're going to encounter excitement in the hallway and they're going to come in a little bit more alerted and active than when they left the previous classroom. So the more settled that you can send them on their way, the better for everyone. The better for the kids that are in the hallway, the better for the teachers that are in the hallway doing hallway duty, the better for the safety sort of of everyone. So definitely make sure that you're shoring that up. Um, There should always be something posted for students to do in the beginning of class, whether it's answering a journal question, math problems, getting supplies ready, because if you don't give them something to do, they will absolutely find something to do. And so this is where I'm talking about not dialing a lesson in, not forgetting your procedures, making sure that the expectations that you set at the beginning of the year when you were fresh and excited are still in place so that when you're tired and frustrated and maybe feeling the first sniffle, you can rely 
on their institutional memory and your own of having those procedures in place. Because if the teacher lets those procedures go, again, I can guarantee the students will let those procedures go and chaos can and will ensue. And so during the lesson, you know, if you're a teacher that's struggling with the transitions between the activities, you've got the beginning nailed down, you've got the end nailed down, but for some reason, especially with where I teach, there's 90 minute blocks, that is a long time. This might be the time to start thinking about brain breaks. How are you incorporating some metacognition in? Are you using the 10-2 rule? Again, science has indicated that for every 10 minutes of new information, humans need two minutes of processing. That processing can take the place in terms of discussing it with someone, writing down the information, using the information in a new way, completing math problems with the information, explaining it to someone else, asking questions some way for the brain to actively use that information. And so in a 90-minute lesson, you're looking at eight to nine, 10 minute chunks. So that's a good way of starting to look at your lesson. If it's a 45 minute block, it's, it's three to four, 10 minute, uh, chunks. If it's a 60 minute lesson, that's six, 10 minutes, you know, five to six, 10 minutes. So what are you doing to check in with your students? And that's often how you can transition them is, is embedding those formative assessments, giving them the opportunity to ask you questions, giving them the opportunity to, maybe independently practice the skill the first time and then they get 10 more minutes of information and then they have the opportunity to work with a peer. But really, how are you introducing the information and then how are you having them interact with it? Because if they're not interacting with it, there's going to be very little chance of it moving from short-term to long-term memory. And especially if you have students with attention issues or with comprehension issues, Giving them more than they can handle can cause them to act out so that they don't have to admit that they don't understand. Or they can become so frustrated that they will then become a disruption or need more constant attention. Whereas if you're giving directions in sets of three and new information in sets of 10 minutes, it becomes a lot easier for you if you're the only teacher in the room. And let's face it, that is the majority of teaching. You have the opportunity to get and work with those students before they become totally frustrated, before they get so far away from your intended target for the lesson that you then spend the rest of the class pretty much either letting them sleep, asking them to put their cell phone away, or writing passes for them to try to get out of the room, whether it's to the bathroom, the nurse, the hallway, wherever it happens to be. Um, And so there's transitions. Think about fun ways that you can transition them. And I don't mean throw a party. Sometimes it's just play music. Play a music for a transition so that you aren't the one always voicing it. If it's, for example, I was doing a science lesson yesterday with sixth grade science students, and I found songs that related to the periodic table and the elements, and they were studying elements and compounds. And so it was an opportunity when I needed their attention, rather than trying to get them back and speak over 30-some voices, I played the music, and that got about half of them down. And then I was able to go around and talk individually to the other ones. And so I was dealing with 15 kids versus 30 because this is a class that I didn't know. That's not necessarily what I would do on my own. What I would have mine hopefully trained to do is when they would hear the music and see the video, they would automatically stop their talking or know that they had maybe about another minute to finish up their thought because sometimes that's one thing I've seen happen too and I'm guilty of it. And everything that I'm talking about that teachers do, I've done and sometimes still do. Um, 
But from a mentorial standpoint, you know, we tell kids, you're done now. And they might be in the middle of a sentence or they might need another 30 seconds to finish their thought. Or if they had that extra minute to finish that problem or that sentence, they would be a lot better off and you would be a lot better off because you were getting a finished thought. So sometimes having those buffer zones, because I know we as adults, someone will tell us to stop and we'll say, I need one more minute or I have one more question. And if we can get that information in or out, we feel a lot more grounded and are willing to give the speaker our attention. And so that happens a lot with students. Have some sort of buffer zone. Have a warning. Um, One of my new teachers has a wireless doorbell that she uses. She rings it and it's loud enough that the students know that an expectation of quiet is coming. And, And so that saved her voice. I've seen some things talk about have wind chimes, have bells, have music. But that that adding of another uh, sound can sometimes help. Now, if you have a class of highly distractible kids that music will overstimulate them, you're going to want to think very carefully. Again, everything that I'm saying, you need to tailor to the needs of your community, of your students, of your peers. But, so that's one way. Brain breaks, where you give them a sort of related question or topic, but it, it changes it up. So if you're doing something with elements... You know, I had students asking yesterday, why is uranium called uranium? You can have something, you can have a small blurb about Uranus the planet that relates but is is somewhat different. Or you can have a language lesson where you're looking at the suffix I-U-M. Or you can ask them what are some other elements that are similar to words that we use. They're, they're going to come up with, with some things. Um, incorporate a cartoon incorporate a visual that's related to the topic, but it might not be 100%, but enough that with rich questioning, students can be, hey, this relates to that, or this doesn't relate to that. Um, I know a teacher who used to play commercials as the brain breaks, and so it was an opportunity to let the kids stretch, let them move around. But the most important, I guess, during the transitions is if you see a student starting to ramp up, Try to get the other students settled as quickly as possible so that you can then help the student that is ramping up get diffused. And so that's why if you have those carefully planned lessons, you know, it'll help you identify. Um, We talked about music. We talked about visuals. We talked about bringing in something new. I guess the other thing would be is if you're finding yourself getting bored and sort of going on autopilot during the transitions then I challenge you to, even if you're feeling sick and not feeling the greatest, dial in during those transitions. Make yourself available, present, make it an effort to be aware so that you can get them settled back in. So if you aren't feeling well, you are losing your voice, you can buy yourself those 10 minutes of just silently walking around the classroom or maybe sitting down with one or two students or just watching the students, uh, you know, and getting anecdotal records. So if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to contact me at don't call me Steph one at gmail.com. And again, thank you for listening.